and get to your seat as quickly as you can and get yourself a Bible. Good evening, good evening, good evening. So delighted to see so many of you tonight. So delighted to have you here at my refuge church. Now listen, as you're getting seated and you're getting all squared away again, I want you to reach and, and find you a Bible tonight, get you a Bible out. You're going to need it. And I want you to go ahead and turn with me tonight over to Genesis chapter 32, Genesis chapter 32. And if you have, um, if you have been with uh, me in times past or in years past and you have... Uh, heard me share my story I I don't apologize tonight again for sharing it let me say this uh, we all ought to be smart enough to do what's anointed <laughs> yeah I think you can apply that to every area of your life but wherever you find the anointing is just stay right there don't ever get too far from that I'm never gonna get too fancy that I'm going to get too good or too big for God to share what he's done in my life. Is anybody in here? Anybody in here got a story? Come on, you got a story? You know, mine is my history. Oh, you didn't get that. They call it history. I call it his story. H-I-S, capital on the H. It's his story in my life. That's my history. It's his story. Let me give you a Bible scripture tonight as you're turning to Genesis chapter 32 that I think will better help prepare every one of you in this place to hear what it is that I have to say. Over in the book of Revelation, anybody like that book? Don't get me stirred up on that book. We don't have as many we don't have enough days in the week for me to get going on that one or Romans. But over in the book of Revelation, it says that the testimony of Jesus is the very spirit of prophecy. Now I know what you're thinking. The minute I say prophecy. You're thinking end times. And apocalyptic literature. And Perry Stone. And so on and so forth. But listen to me. I want to show you another interpretation for that verse. Or another application. The Bible says that the testimony of Jesus. Anybody got a testimony? Anybody got a Jesus testimony? Has Jesus already done? Hey, hey, my friend Alan. Good to see you tonight. Anybody got a testimony where Jesus has done something? Let me say it like this. Anybody got a, a, a scar that Jesus made a star? Anybody got a mess that Jesus made a message? Huh? Anybody got a test that he made a testimony? Anybody got, a, got, a, got an old victim's mentality that now he brought you out and you're a victor? With a new mentality, come on, I'm talking about Jesus Christ tonight. I'm talking about the high priest of heaven, the only, the begotten son of God who was full of grace and truth. Listen, tonight, here's what the Bible says, that the testimony of Jesus. Now, what's the testimony of Jesus? The gospel, right? But listen to this. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Slow it down tonight. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Well, if you make that verse to mean the gospel is the spirit of prophecy, uh, it, it kind of works. How many of you know that theologians and scholars 
all have one problem with the book of Acts. You want to know what that is? That Acts ends abruptly. There's no ending to the book of Acts. Do you want to know why? Because we still live in the Acts era, the Acts age, the dispensation of the church, the grace age. The miracles happening in Acts should still be happening today. What happened when Jesus said, and greater than these, greater miracles than these, you shall see. They will be done in my name. You'll cast out devils. You'll lay hands on all of the book of Acts. Circumstances and happenings still should be playing out in our lives today. The life of the church. So watch this. The testimony of Jesus is not only the gospel. How many of you know? I'm going to give you another one since you like them. Ain't no high like the most high. I took every pill out there that was to take. And there ain't no pill like the gospel. Huh? Ain't no pill like the gospel. Uh, watch this. The gospel of Jesus Christ didn't end with John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ is still being played out much like the book of Acts in your life, in my life. Watch this. The testimony of Jesus, what Jesus has done in me, what Jesus has done in you is the very spirit of prophecy of what he will do for another. When you get up and you share your Jesus story, you share your his story, you share what he has done in and through you, what he brought you out of what he brought you through just to bring you through it so he could get the glory when you share that with a co-worker they may not show it in the moment but they go home and a little bit of hope begins to arise a little bit of faith begins to arise they start believing a little bit that Jesus could heal them that Jesus could set them free that Jesus could restore their mind that Jesus could heal their marriage that Jesus could bring them a husband that Jesus could bring them a wife that they could own a business that they could be in a evangelist that they could be what he called them to be but do you know the bible says that it's the testimony of jesus that's the very spirit of prophecy that tells other in other words let me say it like this when i tell you what jesus did for me tonight here's what you really need to hear you don't need to hear my story you need to hear what he did for me he will do for you Because it's the spirit of, see, don't ever get it twisted. Tonight as I get the opportunity to share my story, it ain't about me. It's about what he did in me all for the purpose of advertising it to tell you what he'll do for you. Tonight, if you have Genesis chapter 32, I want you to go there and let's read verse 1 and 2 tonight. 1 and 2. It says this. So Jacob went on his way. And the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, them being the angels of God, he jumped back. Let me parenthetically insert that. And Jacob said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place. You ready for this? Look right here. Mahanaim. Mahanaim. Come on, on the count of three. I'm going to get you to say that with me. You know you can't come to church and it be a good church service unless you have ten Bible scriptures and one Hebrew word. So just go ahead and check the Hebrew word off for your your uh, your checklist tonight. Here's your Hebrew word. You ready for this? That was a joke. Some of you get that tomorrow. One, two, three. Mahanaim. Do you know what Mahanaim means? Two hosts. Who said that? Somebody got them a study Bible. Somebody been in that book. Come on, I like it, son. It also means the place of two camps. 
the place of two camps. Jacob went on his way, doing his thing, going about his life. And all of a sudden, he comes to a place where he sees the angels ascending and descending. He jumps back, David, and he says, this is Mahanaim. This is the place of two camps. You want to know why he said it? He said, hey, boys, unload the donkeys, unload the mules, build a corral pen for the sheep and the goats. God's here, so we're going to be here. It's the place of two camps. He said, because God's presence is here, I'm going to be here. Can I tell you one of the very first things that you ought to check for when you start checking for a church? Many people check for a sign in the parking lot. Many people check the cleanliness of the restroom. Many people check for a children's ministry or a youth ministry or an anointed preacher. But what you ought to be checking for when you check out a church is if the presence of Almighty God is there. And if you find a place where God is showing up, and then you ought to say, this is Mahanaim. This is the place of two camps. God is here. His angels are here. His spirit's here. His presence is here. He's moving here. Come on in, Mama. Bring the children in the babies with you we gonna be here too we gonna set up shop with God because God is in this place amen I'm just giving you a little help tonight before we get going now before we jump into this message that I've entitled over the years of my life called by a new name I want to say something and I mean this this is not lip service this is the truth I'm nobody special I'm just one young man out here doing what I believe God's called me to do in a kingdom of God that is so vast and broad and beautiful and filled with talented and gifted people doing wonderful things. And when I'm out here doing what God's called me to do, I run across special people. And you have two of the most precious pastors in this church that are shepherds that have been faithful, that have raised their children, been faithful to this house, faithful in the finances, faithful to vision, faithful for the future of my refuge church. And I want you to love on them tonight. I want you to tell Pastor Tony and Pastor Bethany how much you love the Winkler family and how much you appreciate them here at my refuge church. Come on, let's tell them one time tonight. I honor you. I honor you. Let me tell you, the reason the presence of God is in this place is because you've got a shepherd and shepherds that said, we won't take nothing less. We won't stop unless God's presence is in this house. That's what they want. They're sincere people. They're genuine people. They're honest people. They're loving people. And these people are my friends. And I love them. And you want to know how I know we're friends? You ready for this? Pastor Tony took me to his house. He knows I like golf. And I was pulling for my underdog today in the PGA Championship. And he took me up to his man cave after he fed me a great seafood restaurant uh, lunch over at Tony's. Gave me some shrimp. Turned me loose in his man cave. Gave me his remote. Turned the ceiling fans on. Told me I could sleep in the bed. Sat in the recliner. And he gave me about three hours just to get rested up. So I got three hours of rest. We're going to have three hours of church. I'm just kidding tonight. I just love them so much. And the reason they're 
you know they're my good friends is because I go to a lot of places and they say, oh, brother, we'll put you in the Hilton. And, oh, brother, we'll put you in the, in the, in the, in the, in the uh, Garden Inn or, you know, somewhere nice. And they mean it nice. But pastor said, just come on to my house today. Just come on, get up in my bed. Just get up in my recliner. Watch my TV. Enjoy yourself this afternoon. And I told them. What a great time I had at their house. And their house just has such a sweet spirit to it. Listen, you can know somebody in public and then it's something altogether to know them in their house. They can pretend and seem to be one way in front of people and they can be all together. These people are the same. They're just like they are with you when they're at home. And I appreciate them and I honor them. You may not know this, but their son, their baby son, Jared, uh, is on our church staff. He's a joy. He and his wife both, Kaylee, they're both on our church staff. They work there with us at the assembly and they both add a significant amount of creativity and integrity to our ministry there and we love them. I think I get to bring them maybe uh, Tuesday night. I get to bring them with me, get to bring them home to see their mom and dad. And we're going to be back throughout the week. Well, hey, listen, as promised this morning, I told you that I would like to show uh, 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 updated picture of my little family to help you better know me. Obviously, you know the guy standing there in the middle. That's me. Woohoo! Right here tonight. This little girl in uh, my left arm. That is Finley Lark. She's five years old. She starts school Wednesday, so pray for me. It's going to be hard for me to not drive around in circles in the school parking lot, peeking in the classroom window every 25 minutes. AKA nickname. Are you ready for this? Johnette. That's her nickname. Ask anybody. Johnette's cute, cute, cute. Wakes up at 6.30 in the morning. Daddy, let's read the Bible. Daddy, let's build Legos. Daddy, let's drink coffee. Daddy, let's talk to Jesus. About 8 o'clock at night, just like me. She's out. This other little girl in my right arm, that's Fisher Bell. She's my baby girl. She's three years old. And uh, her nickname, now you would have to go to my church to know this, but her nickname is Boo Boo Jr. Boo Boo Jr. My sister, my wife, has two sisters. And the baby sister in my wife's family is their Aunt Macy. Macy's nickname is Boo Boo. And my middle daughter not only looks just like her Aunt Macy, she acts just like Aunt Macy. So pray for me. Thank God Aunt Macy's not here so I can get away with saying that tonight. Aunt Macy needs a high tannin and so does Fisher sometimes. And this little boy in my wife's hands, that's uh, our six-month-old baby boy. His name is Foster Ridge, the newest addition to our family. Those are our three children. And obviously, the beautiful lady in the picture is my best friend, my soulmate, my beautiful wife of eight years. Thank you so much. The Bible says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. God really outdid himself. The greatest miracle God ever gave me. Besides being born again and being filled with the spirit and called to preach was when God gave me that woman right there. Now you say, why are you telling me about your family tonight? Well, I just want you to know I'm a, I'm a normal man. I have a wife. I have children. I have bills. I have responsibility. I have the pressures of life just like you. But let me tell you something. 18 years ago, I was a three-time convicted felon, two-time violent offender. When Johnny Cash or Merle Haggard sang the old song, I turned 21 in prison doing life without parole. That was my life. And that's not made up. 18 years ago, I was going to spend the rest of my life in prison, an IV drug addict. Threw my life away out of Shreveport, Louisiana. 18 years later, fast forward, lots of good choices later, enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit today. I co-pastored the church that I once served at 
as a janitor that I rode a bicycle to every day from a halfway house to being married and having three children and never having done drugs ever, ever, ever again a day in my life, 18 years later. The reason I'm sharing my story with you tonight is I'm trying to prophesy to you. I'm trying to testify to you. He did it for me and he can do it for you. Tonight, if you've got Genesis chapter 32, I want to show you a story in the Bible, an account in the Bible that I believe best fits my testimony. A story, an account in the Bible that I think best sets me up to preach what I believe God would have me preach to this church tonight. The title of tonight's message is called by a new name. Anybody in here been called a few names in your life? You've been called black man, been called fat girl, been called drug addict, been called you just like your daddy. Anybody ever had some names called over you depressed? Anybody ever had so you just never going to amount to anything? You just an old nobody? Anybody ever been called some things in your life? You know, there's an old childhood adage that says sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many of you know that's a lie? How many of you know words, the power of life and death is in a tongue and that just as God spoke and created he gave man the ability to speak and create and whatever is said over us begins to shape us that's why names are so important that's why what people refer to us as is important that's the reason we need to get away from our street names and our nicknames and our slang names and what my daddy called me name and we need to find out what the name of God is for our life we need some people in here tonight that would say I'm ready to be called by a new name. Anybody in here tonight ready to be called by a new name? Genesis chapter 32 verse 22 says this. And he being Jacob arose that night. And he took his two wives and his two female servants and his eleven sons. And he crossed over the fords of the Jabbok River. Now somebody stop right now and say we ain't dealing with a bright crayon in a crayon box. You put it together right? You understand why? Two wives, we know the boy ain't smart to get go. I got one wife, I'm doing all I can, treading water, keeping my head above water. Now to do right, he got two wives and he's got two female servants. In other words, in biblical days, he got two wives, two concubines. That adds up to four wives living in the same house. This was the tale, the modern day tale of that show y'all used to watch on TV a few years ago. Oh, don't act like you didn't watch that. Just look straight ahead in church. Nobody will know that you was watching it. What was the name of that show? Sister Wives. And he arose that night, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons. And he crossed over the forge of the Jabbok. He took them and he sent them over the brook and he sent over what he had. Now watch this. And he was left all alone. You may want to underline that all alone in your Bibles tonight. That's going to be extremely important. And watch this. When Jacob finally got to a place where he was all alone. Look at this. A man showed up. But notice the M on the word man. There is capital. That's specifying to you and indicating to you divinity. Jacob, while alone, had a divine visitor. Mm -mm -mm. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. 
Watch this, verse 25. Now when he saw, he being capitalized, being this divine man, saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. Look at this. He reached out and he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. So the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Verse 26. And he said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I wish somebody tonight would let something start rising up in them right now that says, this is my Hanayim. This is God's camp. God is in this room. I do have a divine presence in here with me tonight. And I'm going to get a hold to God tonight. And I'm not going to let him go in this wrestling match here in my heart. In the altar of my heart. At the altar of this platform until he blesses me. Verse 27. And he said to him, what is your name? Don't you know at this point Jacob turned and said, what? My name? What does my name have to do with anything? Didn't you hear what I said? I said, bless me. What is your name? My name. What does my name have to do with anything? Do you not know I'm in trouble? Do you not know that I can't go forward in life? Because Esau is still looking for me. When I was a little bitty boy, I stole his birthright. Then I stole his blessing. I can't go back home. And then when I was living with Laban, I can't even go backwards. Now, I tricked him out of all of his earthly wealth, all of his earthly possessions. Anybody ever been at that place in life where you can't go forward in life? You can't go backwards in life you've told every lie you burn every bridge you've scammed every scam you've conned every con and now ere you are all alone can't go anywhere stuck right in the middle but here's what God told me to tell you tonight you've got a divine presence with you in that place he said Jacob I said what is your name and he said my name is Jacob And he said, Jacob, you shall no longer be called Jacob. From now on, you will be called Israel. For you have struggled with God and you have struggled with men. Now watch this. And you prevailed. Then Jacob asked him saying, please tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? Then he blessed Jacob there. So Jacob called the name of that place where this divine wrestling match took place between God and a man. And he said, this is Peniel. The reason the name of this place is Peniel is I have seen God face to face. I saw his angels. I knew he had to be round about here somewhere. I set up my camp here. I set up my family here. And I got all alone with God here. And then he showed up and I have seen him face to face. And yet my life is preserved or my life is spared. Verse 31. And just as Jacob crossed over Penuel, that brook, Jabbok, that has now been renamed Penuel, now being referred to as Penuel, Peniel, Penuel, as the sun rose over him, Jacob was limping on his hip. Verse 32. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he... The divine man touched Jacob in the socket of his hip and the muscle shrank. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Dear Lord, most loving and gracious Heavenly Father, I ask for a special manifestation of your presence. God, I know there's no place that your presence is not, but God, I ask now 
for you to manifest in a powerful way. God, tonight, would you bring hope to the hopeless? Would you bring help to the helpless? God, would you bring comfort to the hurting? Would you bring deliverance to the oppressed? God, would you bring resurrection and life to those that are dead? God, I ask for your anointing tonight of the Holy Spirit. Come and fill me now and do what only you can do in communicating this message and our story. I ask it tonight in Jesus' name. If you would agree with me for that, come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Tonight, if I could pick out a subject, I would tell you this, that I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, are you ready for this, of death, burial, and resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection. Everybody got that tonight? And I know you're probably going to say that's a, that's a very obscure subject to want to speak on. I, I'm going to help you further understand tonight. Now listen, this morning I made a couple of statements about some things that unite every one of us in this room. And I'm going to add another one of those statements tonight, add another layer. Can I tell you that not only do every one of us in this room have trouble, we have problems, but there is one little three-letter word that people don't want to mention in church anymore. It's a Christian cuss word and you can't grow churches they say church experts say if you mention it because you'll scare people off and people won't give in your offerings and you won't be able to build buildings so I tell you what you do just dumb the gospel down just leave the hard parts out because really it's about growing a crowd and about growing a building and just seeing them saved anyways oh hogwash I don't believe that there's one three letter word that we better start talking about in the church again today and it unites every one of us in this room you want to know what it is Sin. Now let me show you something. The Bible says over in the book of 1 John that if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us of all sin and all trespass. Then over in 1 John, the second chapter, he says, but I write to you little children that you would not sin. So let me just break this down. In 1st and 2nd, in 1st John, the 1st and 2nd chapter, he tells the sinner that if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. After the sinner confesses sin, repents and comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, he also writes in chapter 2 that it's no longer the will of God for us to continue in sin. However, he does make it abundantly clear that if you do sin on the other side of being born again which tells us that sin is still a part of our lives on the other side of salvation he says if you do sin I don't want you to sin I'm writing this letter so that you won't sin but if you do sin you have an advocate with the father and he's praying for you as your intercessor and as your mediator at the right hand of the father alright so let me show you something here's where I'm trying to go today It's my personal conviction that most people in churches do not know how to deal with sin. Just to be honest, we are raising up a generation of congregants, of Christians that are sin ignorant. Now notice what I said. I didn't say they're ignorant of sin. No, 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 no. I, I know that you don't have to teach. Okay, put the family picture back up. Put the family picture back up. Look at this right here. If I had time to show you tonight how she got her little nickname, Johnette, I didn't have to teach her how to hide stuff from me. I didn't have to teach her how to lie about why she was crawling up in the very tip top of the cabinet to get candy out that neither her mama or I had told her she could 
you got. I didn't have to tell her how to blame stuff on this one that she did when she's got the blue marker in her hand that she wrote on the bathroom wall with and blamed it on this one. You don't have to teach children how to sin. You don't have to teach people how to sin. I didn't say people today are sin ignorant as I'm saying we are ignorant of sin. No, we all know what sin is. We know when we miss the mark. We know when we say and we do the wrong thing. We know that when we miss it daily, we feel it. But here's what I'm trying to get you to see. We're sin ignorant. None of us are getting to the place where we know how to deal with sin. So today, on the New York Times bestsellers list, and I'm not against the New York Times bestsellers list, but if you look on the New York Times bestsellers list on any given month or any given year, there will be a plethora of books that have these titles. Three keys. Four nuggets. Five truths. Six steps, seven principles to a brand new you, to a skinnier you, to a healthier you, to a financially secure you. Does anybody know I'm telling the truth tonight? How many of you can put together what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say because the church is not preaching on sin that the Christian congregates are growing up ignorant of sin. We all have sin in our lives. We all miss the mark. Even after we've been blood-bought, washed, and redeemed, sometimes we think the wrong thing. We say the wrong thing. We do the wrong thing. But if nobody will stand in the pulpit and teach us how to deal with sin, then we're going to grow up ignorant of how to deal with it. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to run to every little Bible study. We're going to run to every little self-help group, every little self-help program, every little self-help book that the New York Times bestsellers rolls out and says, this will help you get skinny. This will help you think straight. This will help you have purity in your marriage and exclusivity with your mate. This will help you be a better manager. This will help you have a financially secure future. When all alone, the truth of the matter is that we can look right to God's word. Watch this. Self-help programs, man's ideologies, man's ideas can never fix sin. Let me show you something. Does anybody in this place tonight have a, a, a disability? Being very, very careful here in no way trying to be offensive or hurt anyone's feelings or come off wrong but when you suffered what you suffered stand up for me my friend wave yours around can I use yours can I use that let me have this let me have this in no way am I being cold or cruel or insensitive but when you develop your 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 disability man's ideology man's best attempt to fix was to get her a wheelchair. When my friend developed his issue, man's best attempt was to get him a cane, was to get him a wheelchair, was to get him a bandage. But I've got news for you tonight. God ain't in the self-help business. God ain't, let me just break it down to you, make it plain right now. If you suffer with an addiction, God ain't into bandaging up the old you. God don't roll you up in the church house or in the courthouse in a wheelchair on your cane so you can say, hey, look at me. Here I am. Look what God did for me. Yeah, it's the same old me. Yeah, I just, I just got a little device now to help me manage and to limp through life. God don't bandage up the old you. 
Do you know that? You know that? God ain't even interested in bandaging up the old you. God don't look at the person addicted to pornography and say, I'm going to give you some coping mechanisms and roll you up in PA, Pornography Anonymous. God don't take the alcoholic and roll you up in AA on, on that little pill. What do they call that pill that they make the alcoholics take so if they drink, they get, they get violently sick and vomit. What do they call that pill? And abuse. That's man's inventions. That's man's best attempt. But all man could do would put a pill down in you to try to change you. But God don't work from the outside in. God works from the inside out. God don't try to bandage you up. God don't put you and roll you up in there and say, look at me now. Ain't I cute? Don't I got this under wraps? So that you walk right back out struggling with the same old struggle. Bound with the same old bondage. Problems that have always been with you. Still on you in your life. God ain't into bandaging up the old you. God wants to kill the old you. He wants the old you to die. He wants the old you to be buried. And watch this. He's dreaming of a brand new you being resurrected. I don't know if you remember this, but it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, the old is gone. The old is dead. The old is buried. Behold, the new has come. Look at him, the light of the world, the salt of the earth, the righteousness of almighty God in Christ Jesus. I got down in him. I changed his heart. I changed his nature. I made him a brand new man. I made him a brand new woman. When God got ready to deal with sin, now I'm not talking about physical bodies tonight. That was just an analogy. When God got ready to deal with sin, God made it abundantly clear how he would deal with sin. Can I show it to you? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5. You're going to say. Very, very, very obscure passage. And I'm going to help you with it. This is my gift. Therefore, when he. See the capital. Divinity. Therefore, when he. He being Jesus. I'm going to help you. Therefore, when Jesus came into the world, Jesus said, Sacrifice and offering, you, capital Y, the Father. Therefore, when Jesus came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings, you, the Father, did not desire. But a body, you, the Father, have prepared for me. In other words, let me break it down, make it real simple. Just stay with me. Jesus said... There's nothing mankind can give up and sacrifice to fix this problem. Hello. You can't give up the methamphetamines and expect it to get better. You can't give up the Jack Daniels and expect it to get better. You can't give up just smoking the left-handed cigarettes and stay stuck on smoking Marlboro. There ain't no little concoction that you can concoct where you give up something as you're making a brokering a deal with God and expect Him to heal you and expect Him 
time to fix you. God don't work that way. He said, God, there ain't nothing man can sacrifice. There ain't no offering they can give. They can't work in the parking lot enough. They can't work in children's ministry enough. They can't give the evangelist the money hid behind the driver's license. Like Pastor said this morning, there's no sacrifice, there's no offering, but a body you have prepared for me. What Jesus said is sin is ever going to be dealt with. If sin's ever going to be ratified, I got to have a body. I got to come in the form of a man. I've got to have sinless blood. And not only do I got to come in a body, I got to shed that blood. But watch this. I not only have to have a body and shed that blood, I've got to die. I've got to be buried. And I got to be resurrected. When God got ready to deal with sin, he sent a body. Because in order to deal with sin, there has to be a death, burial, and a resurrection. Here's what the Bible says. Watch this. Proverbs 21 and 30. There is no wisdom. There's no understanding. And there's no counsel that can ever compete or be against that of the Lord's. Proverbs 21 and 30. There's no wisdom. There's no understanding. There's no counsel that can ever compete with or be against that of the Lord's. Do you know what that says? That says that any one of those books on the New York Times bestsellers list, I don't care what his name is or what his title is, he can have more degrees than a thermometer. If they tell you there's a way to deal with sin in your life differently than how God said, they are a liar and God's the truthful one in the equation. And God said, when I got ready to deal with sin, I prepared a body. Because a body had to die, a body had to be buried, and a body had to be resurrected. You want to know what I'm trying to tell you? That if you came into this place tonight and you got problems, the old you's got to die. The old you's got to be buried. And God don't roll you up in there with a cane or a crutch or an ace bandage or a neck brace. Saying, hey, look at the new improved self-help me. God rolls up and sends out a Lazarus called out of a grave. May still be hopping bound in grave clothes. But you were once dead. You were once buried. And now he raised you up and made you alive in him. A brand new you. A brand new you. Does anybody know that's how the gospel works? Can I share my story with you tonight? Can I share a little bit of my story? I won't bore you or keep you very long, I promise. I've already mentioned a little bit. <clears throat> I'm not going to blame anybody. I'm not going to blame anybody. How many of you know that the very first thing that's got to happen in any of our lives for any of us to go from the place that we currently are with any issue into the place that we want to be not that there's steps I, I don't believe there's steps now I do know that there are mile markers on the journey there are processes to the journey I get that but but I believe in God you can get the whole enchilada you, you can get more tonight than you even understand you can get more from God tonight in a one step God that'll take you 10 more years to figure out what he did in 10 seconds in this altar but watch this one of the very first things that all of us have to do is get to a place where we say I have a problem. I'm, 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 I'm going to break it down. See, it's easy today. It's easy today to walk into a church, to look at people and read people and say, oh, I'm going to start preaching on drugs. I'm going to preach on drinking. I'm going to preach on sleeping. Around. It's easy to do that. But watch this. Watch this. What about when we were over at the restaurant today? Here I am, traveling evangelist. You see my wife? You see my wife? What kind of moron would cheat on her? I mean, let's just be carnal. 
kind of moron would cheat on her? Right? What kind of born at night? But it wasn't last night, Jack. I got a good wife. I'm going to fight for mine. I'm a traveling evangelist. Got a wife and three kids at home. I said, Miss Bethany, I'm going to step over here. I told Pastor Tony, I'm going to step over here and get me a coat to go. I said, young lady, could I get a coat to go? She said, well, I sure hope you come back. I said to myself, I won't be back. <laughs> I can get out here and start talking about drugs and, I, and it just, you know, apply to a few people. We feel like we had a good time. But watch this. What about when you're buying coffee in the morning down at the local corner store where all the men get together and chew the fat and the little girl that's 16 or 21 or 22 and she keeps saying those little comments or you keep giving that second look. Jesus said, listen, ain't nothing wrong with the first look. It's that second look that gets you in trouble, player. Come on, put your eyes back in your head. Get back in your own lane. I'm talking about saying things to the bank teller down at the bank that you wouldn't say if your wife was sitting in the passenger seat. I'm talking about letting your boss, if you're a woman in here tonight, start saying things. Start in that emotional I'm talking about messaging thank you Holy Spirit messaging somebody out there in cyberland out there on social media oh you ain't had a physical affair but you ain't been that intimate with your spouse emotionally like you've been with that person on the computer in 20 years now I'm talking about tonight I don't care what your issue is that you rolled up into this place with we all got issues we all got problems and if you want to be healed of any of those issues any of those problems tonight you got to look at that young lady at Tony's and say, that's wrong. I can't get down with that, Jack. I ain't throwing my life away. Yes, the second look is bad. Yes, the drinking is bad. Yes, the running around is bad. Yes, the flirting. Yes, going to the wrong side. Yes, being at the nightclub. Yes, spending our rent money. Yes, are you ready? It's going to get tight, but it's going to be right. Yes, spending all my time on the river fishing or at the lake or at the golf course or down at the deer camp in the woods and never spending time with my children yes it's wrong yes it's wrong and none of us can ever move to that place of healing in our lives until we're willing to be honest and say that's wrong and I'm not blaming nobody else tonight but I'm going to tell you this I'm one child of five kids one child of five kids I have three stepbrothers who always in some shape form or fashion despise me because my mom who was their stepmom, married their father after their mom and dad broke up. Those stepbrothers became my adopted brothers. My mother, who married my stepfather, who was the father to my three stepbrothers, who became, had one daughter before she married my daddy and had me. At this point, you're looking at me like a cow to Newgate. Thank you. That's exactly how I grew up my whole life. Poster child right here for an identity crisis. I would stay over here with this grandma, but she didn't have my same last name, and I would cling to her like any little boy would cling. And then somebody, a cousin or a distant family or relative, would say, that ain't even your grandma. And then the next month, I'd be over here. And then the next year, we'd be over here. And then we're with this one. And then with this one and I live in a house with no siblings that have the same last name as me none of them have the same biological father as me and got one half sister that's got the same mother as me that's my role that's my that's my story 16 17 years old my stepfather who at that time had become a severe alcoholic beyond 
manageable. Not that there is one, but they managed it and put a band-aid on it for years. Finally began to be so physically abusive. My mom left. She should have left years earlier. I'm not blaming him because there's no telling today looking backwards what kind of mother or wife she was. I probably couldn't have been married to her. And I don't mean that ugly towards him or towards her. I'm just saying at 16 years old, they split up. And when they split up, I was the baby of five kids. We at that time were running a dairy barn. We lived on a farm of hundreds of acres, had, had hired help that helped us milk the cows, put out the feed, also owned Grand Cane Livestock in DeSoto Parish where we bought and sold cattle. And I'm 16 years old trying to play football, trying to play baseball. Obviously didn't grow up in church, never went to church in my life, trying to hold it all together. I've got a broken-hearted, drunken stepfather who sleeps in the front seat of his truck. And in the front seat of his truck, he's got a box of Arma Hammer baking soda, and he's got a bag of sugar. And in the back in the ice chest, an old blue and white igloo ice chest, he always had a case or more of Miller Lite and a bottle of Jim Bean or a bottle of Jack Daniels. And he would sleep in the front seat of that pickup truck. He would never even come into our house. You remember that old George Jones song? Step right up. Come on in. If you'd like to take the grand tour. That was our house. I lived that song. He sat in his truck. He ate bacon soda for his ulcers. He ate spoonfuls of sugar to stay alive. He weighed 120, 130 pounds. Threw his whole life away over heartache and drinking. Finally, at 16 years old, they locked him up, put him in jail for a DWI, and then they got out, and it only anticipated, only ramped up. It only became more confused. And somewhere about 16 or 17, I figured out that as I was running up to the store getting diesel, running up to the store to get lunch, running over to this part of town to pick up some cows and haul them here, that I pretty much had free run of the place. That I had the farm, that I had the five, six bedroom house with big elk and mule deer, everything hanging on the walls, a game room, no brothers or siblings, everybody's gone. And I can charge anything from, from yellow tags that you put on the cows at the livestock market to whiskey. I can charge diesel, I can charge groceries, I can charge whatever I want. 16, 17, 18 years old, all the kids in my neck of the woods started hanging out at my house. You know what happened not too long after that. Wasn't long before drinking and then fist fighting and then sleeping around, promiscuity and sexual immorality. And then, and then all of a sudden somebody broke out a joint. And then after somebody broke out a joint, within a few days somebody broke out a line of cocaine. And then my senior year of high school, I'm an IV drug addict shooting up mess, shooting up cocaine. My principal got in touch with my nearest family member and said politely, we love John. We know he comes from a broken home, a broken family. But if he'll never come back to school, we'll give him the exit exam. And next year, we'll give him his yearbook and we'll give him his diploma. We don't want him here anymore. A few months later, I was in a drug deal that went bad in Bossier City, Louisiana. And a young man ended up being brutally beaten, which I was a part of the beating. And then he was had his throat cut the following morning and thrown in a ditch and left for dead. It was Easter Sunday morning. A pastor found him setting up his church for sunrise service. They rushed him to a hospital in Shreveport where his father, James Bird, sewed his son's throat back together on Easter Sunday morning. I went to jail for first-degree attempted murder at 19 years old in a hotel room trying to be something to a bunch of drug dealers and a bunch of gangsters and a bunch of outlaws that were running meth from Dallas to Shreveport trying to fit in, looking for a place to belong. I'm not blaming 
blaming nobody else. I'm just telling you what I did. I got out of jail 73 days later with a slap on the wrist and five years probation because I was a good old boy, a country boy that grew up on a farm, never had a speeding ticket. Surely he was mixed up with the wrong people. Didn't take long before I was caught with not only possession of dope but selling dope. Didn't take long after that where I had parole and probation. I was now a violent convicted offender with a violent felony and now I've got a possession and a distribution. They gave me another slap on the wrist. And how many of you know my mama started saying, well, just don't go here and stay here and don't do this. And man got in the way and man started saying, well, we can try to work this and try to manipulate this. And then I said, well, if I just stay in the country and I don't go to town and if I don't get high, if I don't stay up for three days, if I don't stay up and it didn't take long before I started going on drug binges and robbing convenience stores and robbing people. I'm not proud of any of this. Robbing people in parking lots like your mama and your daddy and your grandparents and robbing convenience stores with guns and with tire tools and ended up having a high speed police chase and helicopters in the air and at 20 years old, 21 years old I got picked up for my third felony conviction. Seven armed robberies in Cattle Parish, Louisiana. They picked me up on the back of Barksdale Air Force Base where I had jumped out of my own car and run on foot. They put me in Cattle Parish Correctional Center after they gave me one of the worst tail whippings, the worst tail whipping I ever had in my life. If I would have got that tail whipping five years early, I might not would have ever went that far. They hooked me up good that day when they got their hands on me. And here I am, 21 years old, with a three-time convicted felon rap sheet, seven robberies over my head, two-time violent offender, and they put me in a jail cell and put me before the judge. And the judge said, he's got a multi-bill. Multi-bill. State of Louisiana, three strikes, you're out. Over with. Angola. That's my story. I came back from one court appearance that day. And when I came back from that court appearance, I was still, I guess, coming off of the drugs. Probably 30, 40 days had gone by. And I remember this guard's name was Keith Michelle. When I come back through the salad port there into the pod, shackled down in a jumpsuit, he looked at me and, and he said, Skipworth, do you have any idea what happened today? I said, no, sir. He said, he said they're just going to give you a life sentence, man. You're 21 years old. You threw your whole life away. You're going to Angola for the rest of your life. They hit you with a multi-bill today. He said, I'm going to give you a few minutes. And, and, and not that it was outside. It was outside, but the walls are 50 foot high at Kettle Parish Correctional Center outside in the recreational area with chain link fence over the top. And I went out there and I sat on those steps. And then they shift change and they said, Skipworth, you got to go to your cell. And I went up there to that jail cell. And I, I remember when I walked in there and that door closed behind me, something was different. And I told God that day, and, I, and I've never failed to do this. I told God that day that I would never be ashamed to do it is, is, is the rest of my life. As many times I ever told my story. And I remembered I just laid down on that jail cell floor. Nobody was in there. Actually, my celly at the time, because I was still trying to do the same old things. And I was still, even in jail, trying to keep the same old company. My, my celly was a guy by the name of Edward Bass. Edward, please don't be mad if, if you ever see this one day. And I shared your name. But Edward Bass was a young man who had a bright future. He was a, an astute businessman. And he was running a jewelry store on Airline Drive in Bossier City, Louisiana. But in the middle of him being successful in his early 20s as a businessman, he started making trips to 
Amsterdam. And he started figuring out that drugs on the streets of Amsterdam don't cost near what they cost in the United States. And that he could export candles from Amsterdam after the bottoms of them had been cut open and hollowed out and filled with heroin and filled with ecstasy. And then the wax melted back in pots and poured back in the candles with a sticker on the bottom. And he would import them into his jewelry store. And the ATF and the task force hit him. He was one of the biggest drug dealers in Shreveport on the streets of Shreveport, Bossier. And, and I wanted to be in the cell with him because that's the life I wanted to live. And I remember Edward wasn't in there. And I laid down on that jail cell floor and I just remember laying there all alone. And I remember saying, oh, I know what you think I'm going to say. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, get me out of jail. Oh, God, fix it. Oh, God, let my mama get some bond money. Oh, God, let the Oh, God. No, I didn't. Can I be honest with you? I laid down on that floor and I said, God, I hate me. I hate what I am today. I said, God, I'm a murderer. I didn't stick the knife in his throat, but I told my best friend to cut his throat. Leave it. I had a careless, reckless abandon for that young man's life over stupidity. And I left him in it. God, I'm a murderer. God, I'm a drug dealer. God, I'm a thief. God, I'm a robber. God, I hate me. I hate this life. God, would you forgive me? God, would you change me? God, help me. See, today I ask you to read Genesis 32 with me for a reason. As you think about this picture in your mind of me laying on a jail cell floor broken at 21 years old. About to face a life sentence in prison with finally nobody can get me out. Nobody can touch me. I'm on every kind of hold you can be on. Think about that picture in your mind and let me transition and show you the similarity and the parallelisms with Jacob's story. Maybe you remember over in Genesis chapter 32 that I asked you to underline one word that Jacob finally got to a place in life where he was all alone. Do you remember that? But another word sticks out to me in Jacob's story. You ready for this? The Bible says that God said to Jacob, you have struggled with men and you have struggled with God and yet you have prevailed. I don't get that. I started reading the Bible. Bible and I started looking at it and I'm wondering how, how in the world put that up there on the screen point number one Jacob prevailed I want them to see that he prevailed I didn't make that up that's in the passage he prevailed but I don't know about you but where I grew up the guy that that's left on the floor broken the guy that's left on the floor and he can't move let me take you back to the story Jacob and God are in this divine wrestling match and when Jacob won't let God do what God's trying to do because Jacob's got God in a headlock hello somebody much like many of you have God in a headlock. What God's trying to do in your life. What God's trying to break through in your life. You won't let him do. You're screaming out bless me. Because we're a bless me generation. He's saying God I've got you. God reaches out and touches him. And when he touches the socket of Jacob's hip. Jacob falls down to the ground broken. But the Bible says he prevailed. I don't know how it is in Vicksburg. But in Shreveport that ain't prevailing. I don't know how that is where in your neck of the woods, but, but in my neck of the woods, he got his tail whipped. 
He didn't prevail. So I started looking at this and I started praying and I'm asking God for some insight. How, how did he prevail? Can I show you how he prevailed? Does anybody want to know how he prevailed? And I can show you without me even knowing it. It's the same reason that I prevailed. Watch this. He prevailed not because of any old conjured up scheme, any old conjured up scam, any old self-help ideology. Well, I won't go back to Bozier, but I'll stay in Shreveport. Well, I won't go back to Jackson, but I'll stay in Vicksburg. Well, I won't go all down there to the do drop in. I won't look at the flight attendant this way. I won't hold my, I'm not going to con. He said he prevailed because he admitted to God who and what he was. Oh, you didn't see it. He had God in a headlock and he's saying, I say, bless me, God. Bless me, God. And God said, I'm trying to bless you, but what is your name? And Jacob said, my name. What does my name have to do with anything? He said, I said, bless me. He said, hey, I'm trying to bless you, but what is your name? He says, my name. What does my name have to do? And God reaches out and touches him in the socket of his hip and breaks him into a place of weakness. And he said, my name, Jacob. (laughs) He prevailed. He prevailed because he admitted who and what he was. Watch this. Give you another one. Jacob. Jacob, in the Bible, means trickster, means con man, means surplanter, means one that gets ahead in life by pulling others backwards. Oh, you know that friend you got, that every heel grabber, every time you're around somebody, they got to make themselves look better by making you look bad. You know who the Jacobs are in your life. And Jacob had been called heel grabber. He had been called supplanter. He had been called con man, deceiver, manipulator his whole life until he started conning, till he started tricking, till he started manipulating, till he started pulling everybody back. Esau back, Laban back, pulling everybody back so he could get forward. And God said, here's the problem is you don't know who you really are. Man told you you're Jacob. I'm trying to bless you, but we got to start at first things first. Who are you tonight? You think I'm talking about what name your mama and daddy gave you. I'm talking about who are you on the job site. I'm talking about who are you in the living room. I'm talking about who are you in front of the computer screen at 2 in the morning. Who are you on your tithe record? Who are you down at the local corner store at 6 in the morning drinking coffee? Who have you become? And tonight if you want that to change, you got to hear God say, Who are you? And you got to be able to say, I'm Jacob. I'm a liar. I'm a murderer. I'm a deceiver. I'm an adulterer. I'm a cheater. You ready for this? I'm a racist. And he says, no, you're not. That's who man said you were. He prevailed because he admitted who and what he was to God. Watch this. He prevailed because he admitted, not because he tried, some self-help, some, some program that some man made up to deal with sin. He prevailed because he admitted who and what he was to God. Can I show you something? Can I show you something? I'll slow down for a second. When he admitted who and what he was to God, do you want to know what it was? It was a complete sign of, Of absolute surrender. And absolute faith. In a moment. 
We're going to conclude this service. And we're going to go to the most important part of the service, a time in the altar. And if we don't play music, if we don't sing, if we don't turn down the lights, every one of you will have trouble admitting who and what you are to God. But imagine, imagine standing out in front of the church tonight when everybody comes in and says, Hey, I've been looking at porn. Hey, I've been cheating on my wife. Pastor, I haven't paid tithe in six years. Hey, welcome to Refuge Church tonight. I've been flirting with my secretary. God's not asking you to do that tonight before men, but He is asking you to do that before Him. Before Him. Watch this. He, he prevailed because He admitted who and what He was, but I want you to see this. As embarrassed as you would be to stand out front and say any of that tonight, it would be more embarrassing to never have said it to God and on judgment day you stand before Him. And he say, you are addicted to pornography. You are cheating on your wife. You can hide it here. Some men's sins go before them. And some men's sins follow them to the throne. That's Bible. Some men see, some men's sins, you can see it across the room. They're struggling with addiction. They're struggling with their finances. They're struggling with a relationship. You can see it. It goes before. But other men's sins, they keep it hidden. And they'll follow them to the throne. You think it would be embarrassing to stand out there tonight and tell people what's going on in your life. I've got news for you, Jack. You ain't as good of a magician as you think you are. And people don't believe about you, what you portray anyway. All of our reputations look like Swiss cheese, Jack. Everybody actually knows who you are and what you are behind closed doors. Because the Bible says the works of the flesh are evident. They're manifest. You may not think people know who you are. You try to portray a certain image, but let me tell you something. That's not who people really think you are. The best thing to do is, like I said about your pastors earlier, and I'm not putting them on a pedestal. The best thing to do is the guy you are in front of people, be that guy at home. The best thing is the guy you are at home, be that guy in front of people. Be the same. Be integral. Have integrity. Have purity. Be the same all the time. As embarrassing as it would be to stand out there before that church tonight, and tell people what's going on with your life. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Most of them already know. Not by discernment. But by street knowledge. Common sense. It would be more embarrassing to have to stand before heaven. Stand before the high priest of heaven. Stand before the Lord of glory. Stand before the angels. And him say. I gave you a chance. And you say. No I am not. And he says okay. Turn on the screens. And the history of your mind, the annals of your mind, the years and the days of your life start to play on a screen before the host of heaven for you and all them to see. That's going to be really embarrassing. 
He prevailed because he admitted who and what he was. But here's what I want you to see. In order for him to admit who and what he was, he had to come to the end of himself. And he had to come to a place of complete faith and trust in God. Are you ready for this? That God was big enough and loving enough, sturdy and stable enough that no matter what he told God, he couldn't scare God away. The reason most of you aren't honest with your spouse is because you believe if you told her who and what you really are, she would leave you. But when Jacob said that day, I'm the heel grabber, I'm the murderer. I'm the trickster. I'm the drug addict. I'm the thief. I hate what I've done. I hate what I've become. It was complete dejection and self. Complete rejection of self-assurance and self-dependency and self-trust. And it was absolute faith in God. Believing that God was. That he is. And that he would bless him. That he would heal him. That he wouldn't run off from him. Watch this. Put this on the screen. He prevailed. Number two. Put it on the screen. And he received a new name. God said, no, 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 no. You're not Jacob. That's who you think you are. And that's why you've been living the way that you live. No, no, no. Let me tell you who you really are. You're really Israel. You know what it means? The prince who will forever reign with God. Anybody a Bible thumper in here? Any Bible students in here? Bible scholars love to study the Bible? Here's what I challenge you to do. From Genesis 32, 4, find me one character default ever recorded in the Bible. The Bible's authoritative and it's also, also authentic. The Bible doesn't hide people's sins. If it hid people's sins, it would have hid David's sin. It would have hid Noah's sin. The Bible doesn't hide sin. The Bible makes it very clear that it'll show you the whole picture of a man's life. But from Genesis 32 forward, you'll find a man who used to be Jacob, a manipulator, a trickster, a supplanter, a hill grabber, a con man that became an Israel who you will never find one character defect mentioned in his life from Genesis 32 forward. You want to know why? Because God gave him a new name. And when God tells you who you are and people start calling out who you are, hey man of God, hey preacher of the gospel, you got a smile of God's love. You're a champion. You're the light of this world. You're the salt. When people start calling out who you are, the same way that that old name used to begin to shape you and mold you, all of a sudden the name of God, the power of God, it starts shaping you. You start living up to what's being prophesied over your life. It starts coming in you and making you into who God's called you to be. He prevailed because he admitted who and what he was to God, and God gave him a new name, Israel. Watch this. Can I show you something? The Bible says, I love it. Put number three up here. He never walked the same. Here's the picture the Bible says. And the sun, S-U-N, the sun rose over Israel as he limped through Penuel. Watch this. The sun starts rising, signifying the breaking of a new day, signifying the dawning of a new era. And here's what you see. A Jacob who is now an Israel walking with a limp. He walks different. You want to know why? Because he carries the divine touch of God upon his life. That he broke under the power of God. And he was never the same. He never walked the same. He not only never walked the same physically, 
He never walked the same spiritually. Do you want to know why? Because he went through penile. Can I give you a good one? You want to know what penile is? Penile is the one Hebrew word where we get two English words. You want to know what they are? Repentance and penitentiary. Penile is the one Hebrew word that we derive two English words from. Repentance. Jacob saw God face to face. He had a divine wrestling match and God's power broke him, touched him. He admitted who he was. He came to the end of himself. And that through a face to face encounter with God, he became a new man. Repentance. And can I tell you the second word? Penitentiary. Do you want to know who the fathers and the inventors of the penitentiary was? You eat them every morning. Oatmeal. The Quakers. Remember the Quaker oatmeal? People that look like pilgrims? The Quakers were such a God-fearing people. When a man in the Quaker society would get hooked on alcohol or begin to be abusive to his family and unfaithful to his wife, the Quakers would put the man in the Quaker society in the penitentiary. So they could be in a place of penile. They were given a day's work and a Bible and a bed to sleep in and a meal to eat. So that they could find repentance in the penitentiary. It's amazing. They'll take a Bible out of a school, but it's the first thing they throw in a jailhouse. Take a Bible out of a school. No prayer for the football game. But when he gets hooked on dope and he's selling dope to everybody in the neighborhood and they lock him up down at the Bibles, see if Kenneth Copeland will send him a daily devotional. Never walk the same. Here's the best part. I got to go. If you would begin to turn the lights down. And could I have the praise team begin to come back up here? We're going to get ready to sing this song again. I'm going to show you something good. The last point. Do you remember in there? Just go ahead and turn on a little instrumental music. Watch this. I'm going to save the best part for last. Do you remember that part where it says, and it seems so out of place. And for this reason, the children of Israel still do not eat the hip socket because God touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the socket of Jacob's hip, the muscle shrank. Do you remember that part in the scripture that I read you? Does anybody have any idea when Jacob lived? Do you know, this isn't up for debate, there are 6,000 in a few years plus of recorded human history human history man on this earth has only been here there's only 6,000 in a few years of recorded human history back to Adam I'm not trying to decide any other stuff for you tonight but I'm just telling you there's 6,000 years of human history alright you want me to break them down for you make them very simple 2,000 years from the garden to Moses 2,000 years from Moses to Jesus and 2,000 years from Jesus to today that's just a real simple little breakdown for you okay alright does anyone know where Jacob falls in that 6,000 years of recorded human history anyone know where he falls Jacob falls about 3,500 years backwards on the chronological timeline of human history what are you telling me that for a preacher tonight I'm telling you that for this reason that one man had an encounter with God 3,500 years ago that I'm preaching about tonight, right? Anybody in here ever been to Israel? You've been to Israel? You've been to Israel? You've been to Israel? You've been to Israel? 
Were any of you fortunate enough to be there during Passover? No, you didn't go during Passover. Didn't go during Passover. Okay, but if you ever go during Passover, do you know they still eat a lamb? Now, they don't go out there and hang it up on the skinning post like we do a white-tailed buck deer and cut his throat and let the blood run out, but they still eat a sacrificial lamb during Passover. Did you know that? And did you know the children of Israel still to this day during Passover do not eat the right hip socket? When they go buy a lamb from the market and they bring the lamb home and they cook the lamb for them and their family or them and their neighborhood, they take one socket out, the right hip. Did you know that? The children of Israel still do not eat the hip socket of the land because one man had an encounter with God 3,500 years ago that was so powerful, it's still affecting future generations. Why are you telling us all this? It's like going to school, a history lesson, a Bible study series. What are you doing? Okay, I'm going to bring it all together. You ready? My story's not done, Ike. I'm just getting started. But I have prevailed. Look at me. I look at me. I have never, ever been high ever in my life in 18 years. I have never been high again in 18 years. I have prevailed. There's not many that can say that. God bless those that can. I've never been high again in my life. That doesn't mean if people stumble or make a mistake that they're out of the will of God. I'm just telling you that what God did in my life 18 years ago caused me to prevail. And do you want to know how I prevailed? Because I laid down on a jail cell floor without a pastor, without an evangelist, without a prophet, with really no correct church teaching. And I laid down on the ground and I started confessing and calling out to God who I was and what I had become in humble brokenness, in genuineness. I was all alone. I didn't have nobody to please. I didn't have nobody to show off in front of. I didn't have nobody to try to make feel remorse or sorrow for me. I laid down on that jail cell floor and I started calling out to God who and what I was. And then wouldn't you just know it, just like God, four, five, six months later, all of a sudden God got me out of that situation and God sent me to a drug rehab in Texas where there was a man of God by the name of Rodney Duran and Denny Duran and they would let me come into their church and when I would walk into their church, they would look at me and they would say, hey, I want you to know that you're a man of God. You are the light of this world, son. And I would look over my shoulders and I would say, surely he can't be talking about me. Surely they know I'm here on parole. Surely they hear I know that I got to go back to jail and serve a prison sentence. Surely they know I'm a robber. Surely they know I'm a drug addict. Surely they know I've been a part of some bad stuff. Surely, and they didn't know it, but they would say, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you have been said. You will be or who they said. You are the light of this world. I laid down. I gave God who I was and God gave me a new name through a man of God he started preaching the word and watch this I got up off of that jail cell floor and I've never walked the same oh are you saying tonight you've never made a mistake shoot no we'll get Miss Brooke in here tomorrow night and she can tell you about all my boneheaded mistakes but here's what I can tell you for 18 years I've never walked the same and every time the enemy lays a trap or I start towing a line or something starts going on start but it don't take but just a little bit of time and the Holy Ghost starts pulling my coattail 
starts convicting my heart, pulling me back to righteousness, pulling me back to revival, pulling me back to a right relationship with him, saying, that ain't for you, son. That ain't your life today. That ain't what I set you free from. I've never walked the same. Now watch this. The reason I told you about the lamb, sir, because if God is no respecter of persons, and God took one man, and he's been speaking to people and affecting people's lives for 3,500 years, well, then here's what I came to tell you tonight. He's going to use my life and he's going to use my story and my story he didn't do it to me he did it through me so he can affect future generations so there can be another John Skipworth so there can be another hero there can be another delivered there can be another saved I hadn't told you the best part we gotta go if you would stand up on your feet with me tonight I don't know what you came into this place struggling with tonight, but here's what I do know. You don't have to leave with it. I don't know what you came into this place with battling with tonight, but I know you don't have to walk out of here fighting a battle that's not yours in the first place. You say, how'd your story turn around? How'd you go from the jail cell? There was a guy by the name of Ben Ward. He had been a delivered addict. And he had gone through a program called Overcomers Training Center. And he was so grateful for what God had done in his life, he was working at the church as a janitor. And one day he's walking down the hallway. And he's walking past his pastor's office. The pastor was Mike Back, who oversaw the Overcomers Training Center. And there was a white envelope. And the name on it said John Skipworth. And Ben Ward sweeping the floor said, My goodness, I guess John Skipworth's trying to get in the program. The next day, Ben Ward went back to the pastor's office and he noticed the envelope was gone. And he said, Pastor Mike, there was an envelope out here yesterday at 5 or 6 o'clock when I was sweeping the floor and y'all were already gone. And he said, It had John Skipworth's name on it. And Mike back said, Yeah, it did. He said, Well, where's it at? What's the story? Is he trying to get in the program? And he said, Yes, his mother's just sending a barrage of calls and beating on the door and she won't give up and take no for answer. And she's trying to get him in here, but there is no way I can let John Skipworth into this program. Would you turn that instrumental music up for me? I just feel something on it. Let's turn it up a little, please, ma'am. Please, sir. You're not going to bother me. Can y'all still hear me all right? He said, there's no way that I could let John into this program. He said, number one, they're never going to let him out of jail. He's got a multi-deal. He's facing a life sentence. Number two, do you know who John is? And said, yeah, I know him real well. He used to get high with him in the street. He said, well, he's one of the three boys that almost killed Dr. Bird and Pam Bird's son, J.P. Bird. And Ben said, I know that too. And he said, well, just in case you don't remember, J.P., once his father sewed his school back together, came to this program five years ago. God saved him, filled him with the Holy Spirit. Today he works at Andrew Walmack's Bible College called Karis Bible College in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And he said, there's no way I could let John in here because you see the finances for our ministry are really down. And the Bird family is the one that's been faithful that keeps the doors open because God what did what God did for their son here. Ben left it alone and went on, and the pastor started wrestling with the voice of God in his life. 
pastor one night after church like this, called the Bird family down, and he sat down with them, and he said, Pam and Dr. Bird, I need to ask you a serious question. There's a young man trying to get into the program, and he's in Kettle Parish Correctional Center. He's in a whole lot of trouble, and I think you guys are going to know him, and I want to ask what you feel about letting John Skipworth into the program. And immediately when he said my name, Pam Bird sat up on the front of her chair. She said, let him in. He's the seed. She said, Pastor Mike, you don't know this, but I've been praying for John Skipworth for five years. As a matter of fact, all three of the boys and God just told me if we'll let him in, God's going to save him. And all three of the other boys that almost killed my son, that almost took his life, we're going to give them eternal life. Can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? Five years to the day, on Easter Sunday, a judge in Bossier City wrote an order to lift the parole hold on me for a first-degree murder charge, sent me under Caddo Parish Correctional Center deputies escort across state line to Carnac, Texas, and enrolled me in Eagle Creek Recovery Center. I walked into that room, and I saw a guy's face that I didn't know. He said, come on, man, let me unpack your stuff. Come into my office. I want to talk to you. It was my friend, Ben Ward, who was still working at the program. He said, John, we've got church tonight. Get dressed, get ready. There's some people there that want to meet you. Do you know the Bird family? And I said, man, I don't want to talk about that, Ben. I'm trying to get my life straight. I want as far away from that old life. And he said, no, 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 man, I don't think you understand. They're the reason you're here. They went to the judge. They wrote an order. They took me to church that night on Easter Sunday I was looking the whole time through church like what in the world come on hurry up let's get this over with they let church out I took off where they said the van was coming and I was the first one out there ready to get on the van I was like come on van pick me up take me back to the center now and I look coming down the hall and here come a short young man a little bit older than me with blonde hair with a huge scar on the side of his neck and face and he walked up to me and he stuck his hand out And he said, John Skipworth, I'm J.P. Bird. I love you, man, and I forgive you. God's getting ready to do incredible things in your life. We're so proud you're here. You know, they let me me stay in that program for seven months. You say, that's the most incredible part of the story. No, it's not. Let me tell you the most incredible part of the story. They let me stay for seven months. They forgave. The courts didn't. The courts said, we're tired of the charade. You're coming to court with 40 people from a church, two lawyers, the victims of your crime. We're tired of this. You're going to prison. you got nine days. Get your house in order. On October the 10th, 2002, they sentenced me to 12 years. And when I walked out of that courtroom that day, my mama looked at me and she said, you hold your head up high, boy. Because the man they're reading about on that paper, he's dead. That ain't who you are no more because God gave you a new name. My preachers looked at me and they said, you want to be a preacher of the gospel? You're going to get to be a preacher of the gospel. You're going to be a modern day Paul. You're going to get to go to prison and preach to people that will never get a chance to. You want to go to Bible college? We'll send you to Bible college. Hey, let me tell you something. I spent seven years in the penitentiary. I ain't never getting one fist fight. I never had a homosexual relationship, a heterosexual relationship. I never backslid. I went to Bible college. I got a degree. They let me out five 
five years early. They sent me to West Monroe, Louisiana, to a place called City of Faith. They dropped me off on the south side of Monroe on Jackson Street across from a liquor store. I got me a bicycle, and I went to work at the First Assembly of God, Monroe, as the janitor, baby. I started there as the janitor. I became the college pastor. I became the youth pastor. I met my wife. I went and pastored the First Assembly, Thibodeau. And when we got ready to build that brand new building, they called me and said, we can't do it without you. Come back, steady the ship, lead day-to-day operations. The greatest part of my story is for 18 years through the penitentiary, through the hood, and now all the way to the palace. God has been faithful to me. He's never let me down. He's kept me clean. He's kept me pure. I'm an overcomer today. I've been called by a new name. You did such a good job. Come on. Start singing that song. Will it bother you if I, if I preach on top of you just a little bit? It won't bother me. Come on, let's get ready to worship. Let's get ready to worship.